0: Genesis chapter 6. Now, I'm going to read to you the first 22 verses of Genesis chapter 6, which is all of the verses of Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to read the chapter to you. So let's uh, just read along with me, and we're going to talk about the grace of God today. Amen? Amen. Genesis 6, verse 1. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I made man, excuse me, that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations "'Noah walked with God, and Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. "'The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. "'So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, "'for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. "'And God said to Noah, "'The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence.' Through them, And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make the ark. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits and the width 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. And set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it lower. I'm sorry. You shall make it with lower second and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And they shall be male and female, of the birds of their kind, of the animals of their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you and keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. So we're going to talk today. Gosh, there is so much here in Genesis chapter 6 we could talk about. We could spend literally months on various topics and subjects. So remember, as we go through Genesis, we're not... We're, we're gonna kinda go through it a faster clip and we're we're looking at broader themes. So though there is much here we could talk about, uh Frankie mentioned Dr. Larry Mitchum. Uh, Dr. Larry has a whole lot to say about the ark, about the animals and the ark and how it was built and uh, Kent Ham of uh there's another guy that you can find online at uh his website has in-depth teaching about the ark and the flood and creation so we're not going to really talk about that what I want to talk about as we look at this chapter as a whole is very simply the grace of God and we see pictured for us here in such vivid uh, detail God's grace and so What is the gospel application of Genesis chapter 6? This chapter of the Bible that reveals to us that there came a point in time in God's creation when God said, I will destroy every living thing on the face of the earth except for a man and his family, eight souls, and I will reserve also a remnant of of those creeping things, of those living things that walk and creep and live on the face of the earth. And then I will destroy the world with a flood and all the life that's in it except for those that are in the ark. What's the good news there? Doesn't sound like much good news, does it? God says, I'm going to destroy everything except for eight people and some animals. I mean, that just doesn't sound like good news, does it? But yet, it is good news. And there is good news in the midst of this. In God's mercy, He delivers His people. Not because His people deserve to be delivered, but because He is graceful. The grace of God gives to us in His divine power, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. Grace is a gift God gives to all. You realize that? Every single thing on earth, every human being on the face of the earth is living by and in God's grace. God gives grace. To all, in some measure, in a much greater measure than we can comprehend. But to God's children, God gives grace that gives to the uttermost and to the fullest expression of life in Christ. In John's Gospel, the 10th chapter, Jesus said, I come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. Men have taken that doctrine and turned it into something it was never meant to be. That's not your formula for wealth, health, and prosperity. That's not your formula for success. That's not a blank check God gives you that you can fill in however you want. Because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his very soul? I would imagine in the day that the flood came upon the earth, whatever Noah had built, whatever Noah had amassed for himself, I would imagine that when that flood, when the terror of that flood came upon the earth, Noah was thankful to escape with his life by the grace of God. Peter writes these words in his Second epistle, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace is multiplied to us in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious Promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God gave a great and precious promise to Noah in the days preceding the flood, during the flood and after the flood. And that promise extends to us today by God's grace. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. How was Noah saved? Noah was saved by grace. How are we saved? We are saved by grace. So let's talk about grace today. There's three things I'm going to bring to your attention. Grace gives is the name of this message. Grace gives. Well, what does grace give? We're going to look at just three things. It gives much more than this, but three things in particular that I see in this sixth chapter of Genesis. Grace gives grace. Grace gives grace. Grace gives deliverance. And grace gives devotion. So let's talk about this. Grace gives grace. Verse 8 of Genesis 6 says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In John's Gospel, the first chapter, verse 16 and 17, John writes these words, and of his fullness, speaking of Christ, and of his fullness, we have all received... And grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And of His fullness we have all received and grace for grace. Grace for grace, or grace upon grace, or grace for grace's sake. The Greek construction of that phrase there can mean grace two or three different things, but the reality is they all are true for us. We have received grace for grace. We have received grace upon grace. We have received grace for grace's sake. God in His grace gives Grace constantly and in all things, but his grace, his grace is most clearly seen and ultimately known in its fullness in Christ. God gives grace, not because we deserve grace. Don't ever think. I know it says that Noah was a just man. Don't think that Noah escaped the flood because he was the only man on earth who had worked his way to a place of salvation because Noah did not work his way to a place of salvation. Noah was a just man does not mean that Noah deserved salvation, but no one else on earth did. Noah was a just man means God in his goodness, in his grace, gave grace to Noah it was God's grace that enabled Noah to be a just man Noah can take no credit for his justness for his goodness for his devotion or his righteousness whatever that may have looked like whatever however God saw that he communicates it to us but what we need to understand is that Noah was not justified, and Noah was not righteous, and Noah was not perfect in his generations because Noah was special, but no one else on earth was. No, the reality is Noah was sinful like everyone else on earth. Maybe Noah did not commit the same sins as everyone else. Noah may not have been a violent man. Noah may not have been a crooked man, an unjust man. But the fact that Noah was honest, or the fact that Noah was kind and gentle and just, did not mean that Noah deserved salvation. It meant that God was graceful to Noah. And God's grace allowed Noah to operate in justice. And God's grace allowed Noah to operate in kindness and goodness and gentleness. And God's grace allowed Noah to walk with those attributes and characteristics that no one else on earth walked in. It wasn't Noah that... Enabled Noah to do that. It was God and his grace that enabled Noah to do that. God gave grace to Noah. And when the time of the flood came. God gave more grace to Noah. And saved him, his wife, his sons and his son's wives. It was God's grace that saved Noah. It is God's grace that saves you and I. It is grace giving grace that saves us. It is grace given by the good pleasure of God's will. Luke twelve thirty two. Do not fear. These are the words of Jesus. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It was the Father's good pleasure to save Noah, to give grace to Noah. Ephesians 1, 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ... To himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. How were you predestined and adopted a son of God? Not because you deserved it, not because I deserved it, but because it was the good pleasure of his will that caused you to be predestined, that caused you to be adopted, that calls you a son of God today, a daughter of God today. It is the grace of God Given. Ephesians 1 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. How did Noah come to find out that there was coming a flood on the earth? God, in his grace, made known that mystery, that unknown thing to him. Everyone else, we read in Matthew 24, Jesus says, in the, in, the, in the last days before the coming of the Son of Man, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah, men giving in marriage and feasting and living their lives, oblivious to the violence, oblivious to the injustice, oblivious to the corruption all around them. And in one moment, the flood came and took them all away. In the day that Jesus splits the sky open and appears physically and comes back to this earth and plants his feet on this earth, it will be just like it was in the days of Noah for many people who will be oblivious to Jesus. But God says to his children, don't be caught off guard. He warns his children, he warns those who have ears to hear, I am going to come like a thief in the night, and I'm going to surprise a lot of people, but children, hear what I'm saying. Know that I'm coming. We're going to be like Noah. His children are like Noah. God spoke and God said, this is what's going to happen. The question is, do you have ears to hear? By His grace, according to the good pleasure of His will, He has made known to us the mystery of His will. Philippians 2.13. Actually, verse 12 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. How does God work in you? How does God will in you, according to His good pleasure. Why does God give grace? He gives it according to His good pleasure. He gives grace for grace, grace upon grace, because it is His good pleasure. Now, it's easy to see God's grace in deliverance from death and destruction. Last night, we were coming home from San Antonio from the funeral and uh, <clears throat> we decided we would make a pit stop at Bucky's. I love Bucky's. And so we we uh, we we drive up and we pull into Bucky's and we get there at the gas pump. And I get out and this guy comes running up to me and he says, "Hey, you have a nail in your tire." And there was this big sheet metal screw sticking out of the sidewall of my tire, and it sounded like a air compressor. You know I mean? It was just, it must have just happened when we pulled in the parking lot because, you know, the tire was full, and so right there at the gas pump, thankfully, we had a spare that wasn't flat, and we changed our spare tire, and we were there probably, I don't know, 30 minutes or so doing all that and doing the pit stop and Getting coffee and stuff like that, and uh, and so we leave, and then we get a little ways down the road, and there's like, car. It's like a parking lot on 35, and uh, of course, uh, Google tells you there's a collision. Tells you you know what the traffic's doing. I never had. I, how do they do that? I mean, it's like nine o'clock on a Saturday night, and Google's giving us a traffic report. It's like to the second. It's up to date. I, I don't know how that how that they do that, but that's amazing. So we were a few miles from the toll road. We were not going to take the toll road because I don't like taking the toll road because I don't like paying money to the international corporations that own our toll roads. Um, but anyways, we, we could get off and take the toll road and have a clear shot, so we did that. And somebody said it was like a jalapeno truck or something turned over. I kind of wanted to go get some peppers, but nobody else wanted to. And uh, so I don't know if that's really that really that's what that's what they said happened. But today it dawned on me. I'm driving and, and I'm driving to church, and I'm thinking about the grace of God and how God works in everything. And it just all of a sudden hit me. And I told Caleb. I said, "You know what? I said, you know, we had that flat tire in the absolute perfect place. There, we couldn't have picked a better place to have a flat tire. Right there in the parking lot of Bucky's at the gas pump." I said, you know, it was an inconvenience, but maybe maybe, unbeknownst to us, who knows, maybe that jalapeno truck would have turned over on top of us or something. I don't know. You know, that's total speculation. Who knows? Might have not been anything. But but I do know this, and I do believe this. Nothing happens with without a reason. Even when, like we, we listened to today, David Platt in his Revelation series, Even when it's the devil trying to sabotage us. Listen, God uses it for his purpose and his good. There's no doubt about that. As inconvenient, as frightening as your circumstances may be, know this, believer. Know this, Christian, that God uses everything for his purpose according to his good pleasure. There's a reason why we had a flat in Bucky's parking lot. Maybe it was the jalapeno truck turning over. Maybe it was saving us from something. Maybe God just said, you know what, if you wouldn't have had that flat tire right there, you might have been stuck in traffic for three hours. And those crying babies, you didn't want them to be stuck in traffic for three hours. So God inconvenienced us for about half an hour so that we could get home much quicker. Maybe that's all it was. Maybe it was something as innocent as that. But I promise you this, God allows nothing and does nothing that he does not have a reason for. And he does it according to the good pleasure of his will. So it's easy to see the grace of God when God saves us from disaster or God provides for us in some time of our greatest need or our greatest lack or, or even in the little things, you know, driving, driving home yesterday and leaving the humidity of San Antonio and getting into a van and just flipping a little switch and there's cool, dry air blowing on us, drying up all of our sweat. And I didn't even dawn on me, I didn't say, thank you, Jesus, for air conditioning. But you know what? Thank you, Jesus, for air conditioning. It's just a grace. We don't need it, but we have it, right? We don't need air conditioning, but we have it. How do we have it? We have it by the grace of God, like we have all things. So even something as small as that, we shouldn't take for granted. We can see the grace of God. But we also, listen church, we also need to be able to see God's grace in the bitter providence of God. In times of loss or times of lack or times of dire need, God's grace works in all things at all times. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever stop believing that. Above all, we need to know that God's ultimate expression of grace is known in Jesus Christ. That ultimate expression of God's grace transcends all things, good or bad, sweet or bitter. And that transcendent grace of God springs from God's eternal fount of glorious grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greatest, most defining expression of God's grace. It wasn't just that Noah was delivered from a flood and his life was saved. It's much more than that. If God's grace only delivers us from physical harm and physical danger and leaves us and stops right there, oh, that's not good enough. And that's why I say God's grace works in all. But to his children, God gives grace that transcends everything and ultimately expresses itself. An eternal life in Jesus Christ. And whatever our circumstance, and whatever our situation may be on this earth, if we have life in Jesus Christ, if we have the gift of eternal life given to us by grace through faith in Christ, we have received the greatest gift of grace that could ever be received. That does not minimize your situation or your circumstance but it helps us put things in perspective in the midst of our situation and in the midst of our circumstance. I'm going to be real honest with you. Yesterday I'm still trying to figure out why God let my green shirt get caught in the the thing, you know, when you close the back doors of the van. I'm not sure why God let my green shirt get caught and it made like this ugly grease spot and kind of tore it. And when I change clothes at the funeral home when i got ready to put my jacket in the back of the van and i had my green shirt that i was going to change into at the meal you know and be comfortable and i get back there and i take my jacket off and i hang it up there and there's my green shirt hanging there because i kind of had that there shielding my sport coat and so I slammed the door, and I noticed there's fabric hanging out of the door back there. So that looks like my green shirt. Open the door back up, and right there, in all of its glory, there's this big old square of grease blob, and kind of tore my shirt a little bit. Now, what do you think I did? Praise God for his grace. Now, ask my kids. Ask my grandkids. That's not what they heard. They didn't hear me praising God for his grace. I could have said, praise God for his grace. It could have been my sport coat. But I didn't even think about that. I said, dad, gum it. My dad always said that. You know, it's like, I just, oh, man. I heard EJ. He doesn't sound like he's too happy. I wasn't. I wasn't very happy. Going to the funeral home, change. I got this big grease blob right there on my green shirt. You know, I'm like, oh, well, you know. Pull into Bucky's. We have a flat tire. My first, my very first thought was not, gee, I'm so happy we had a flat tire in Bucky's parking lot. When the nice young man said, hey, you have a nail in your tire, I'm like, what? I go around, there it is, sticking out, right, just screwed right in there. You know, my first thought wasn't, praise God, we had a flat in Bucky's parking lot. Now I feel justified in buying alligator jerky or something. No. You know? But then I did recover a little bit more quickly from my green shirt. My green shirt I didn't recover very quickly. Okay. I recovered from the flat, flat, flat tire pretty quickly because I realized, I said, man, we could be on the side of the interstate. There was construction, you know, and they have these narrow lanes. And I'm thinking, we, we could have been on the side of the interstate with trucks and cars zooming by, people texting while they're driving down the interstate, and they don't see me parked there, and they just plow into me. It happens all the time. But no, God allowed us to have our flat in the Bucky's parking lot, the safest place we could have had it. I mean, the worst case scenario, we could have stayed there for 24 hours and had alligator jerky and coffee and ice cream and bought souvenirs until someone came and rescued us. I mean, it was a great place to be broken down. But we got out of there pretty quick, and we got out of there safely. And we got home safely. How do we do that? We did that by the grace of God. Now, God wants us to learn how to see his grace in everything. Even in situations and circumstances that that appear as though there's no grace there. There is not a situation, there is not a circumstance of your life that is void of grace. I don't care how dark it may be. The grace of God is there. Trust me, walk by faith, don't walk by sight. This is why the Bible commands us to do this. The Bible commands us to walk by faith and not by sight. Because if we go through life walking by sight, we're going to miss God's grace. God's grace is present all around us and we will never see it and we will never know it. Actually, we will because God won't let his children go through grace go through life and and never know His grace. Do you know there are people, there are people right now who are dead in their sin, blind to Christ, deaf to Christ, their hearts are stone cold, they are living separated from God, the grace of God is filling their lives, all around their lives and they don't even know it. They don't even attribute it to God. They attribute it to chance or circumstance or karma or just the way the universe evolved. God says to his children, don't miss my grace. Don't miss the grace that is present in the flood. Don't miss my grace that's present in the valley of shadow that you may be walking through right now. All you can see is darkness, but it is my grace that is leading you through the valley. This is what grace declares. If God be for us, who can be against us? He gives grace, all sufficient grace. So like Noah, we too must find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, Even so, Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. Do you hear that, church? If it, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. The Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If it were by Noah's works that he escaped the flood, then it's not grace. Then God is lying to us and God is not lying. Grace is grace. Grace is not works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of grace, Works. It is no longer grace, otherwise, work is no longer work. So God says, even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Don't confuse the term remnant, which means a remainder. Don't confuse the term remnant with only a small number. God saved Noah and his family, eight souls in the flood. But God sent His Son to save the world. That does not mean Christ has saved every single human being on the face of the earth. But it does mean that God has saved a world full of people. There will be a population in hell... But the book of Revelation says that there is an innumerable number, ten thousands upon ten thousands, worshiping at the throne of grace. God sent his Son to save a world full of people from destruction, not because they deserved it, but because he is graceful. In fact, the Bible says they were already condemned when Jesus came. Jesus didn't even have to come and condemn the world because the world was already condemned. But he came to save a world full of people. God saved eight in the day of the great flood. God is saving a remnant today that will fill the world. And they are His, and they shall remain by His grace. You will remain. You are a remnant. You shall remain, not because you work so hard to remain, not because you behave so good that God will let you remain. You remain by the grace of God. You will walk out your faith by the grace of God. You will complete your race by the grace of God. You will walk and become holy as He is holy, being conformed to the image of the Son, not by your great work, but by His great grace. Because He has promised in Philippians 1.6 that He who has begun a good work in you, and that is a work of grace, shall complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ. So grace gives grace. Grace gives deliverance. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Grace gives us deliverance from sin. Grace does not give us license to sin. We don't need that. We're born with it. Grace does for us what we could never do for ourselves. Grace gives us freedom from sin and death, grace delivers us from the nature we are born with. Grace delivers us from sin. Second Peter chapter two, verses four through nine. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and if God did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in. "...the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds." Then the Lord knows, listen, listen to verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly. Grace gives deliverance. By grace God delivers the godly. Who are the godly? The godly are those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. How are you saved? By grace through faith. Not of works lest any one should boast. So God is graceful. And His grace gives grace. And His grace gives deliverance. Genesis 6-8 says, Noah walked with God. God's grace gives devotion. Hebrews 11 verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, that's the grace of God, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. And in saving his household, he condemned the world. Christ has done the same thing. In saving his children, he has condemned the world of unjust men, of unbelieving men, who refuse to see, who refuse to hear, who reject him, who rebel against him, who have no desire to know him. And what should that reality do for us who have received grace upon grace? deliverance and have a desire to walk in the devotion of God it should first and foremost make us thankful it should first and foremost in our thankfulness make us tremble with fear knowing that we have not received this grace because we deserve it but we have received it because God is graceful and it was the good pleasure of his will to bestow his grace upon us to know that we can never say look what I did for God. Look what I did that earned me my salvation. Look what I did that got me my ticket on the ark and my spot reserved. No. The only boast like the Apostle Paul writes so so forcefully and so passionately the only boast that we have is in the cross. The only boast that we have is in Christ. Because apart from Christ apart from the cross apart from His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to glory, receiving a kingdom. Apart from that, we have nothing. We have nothing to boast in. Grace gives devotion. The grace of God extended toward Noah did not cause Noah to become less devoted, but produced faith and greater devotion in Noah. And it is to be the same with us. God's grace extended to and working in our lives in all things. The bitter and the sweet providence of God is working in us a greater devotion to God. This is His will for us. That we be wholly devoted to Him. And we shall do that by His grace. Grace never says, let us sin so that grace may abound Grace causes us to weep and to mourn because of sin. And when we fail in our sin, when we fall prey to temptation in our sinfulness, it is grace that restores us. It is grace that picks us up. It is grace that restores our soul. Grace gives. Ultimately, it is grace giving into the transforming. It is grace that is transforming our life, renewing our minds, conforming us to the very image of the Son of God and ultimately glorifying us in Him. Do you recognize, listen church, do you recognize God's grace giving you, all that it has given you. Do you recognize God's grace in your life? Perhaps you feel your life could not be any better than it is right now. If so, do you know it's only by His grace? Perhaps your life is not all that you hope it to be. Maybe it even seems like a disaster right now. But do you recognize God's grace working even in the darkness of the valley of shadow? Not because you can see it, but because you know His promise and you know the hope that you have in Christ is sure. His grace is always giving more grace, always giving deliverance, always giving and working in us devotion. His grace born out of His love never fails. Amen. So here's my challenge to you. Don't look at your circumstance. Look for His grace. Don't live in denial of your reality, but don't let your reality blind you to His grace. Don't let your reality blind you to His love. And don't let your reality blind you to His eternal care for you in Christ Jesus. Seek and find His grace. Share it with those God has put in and around your life. Do you hear me? Seek and find His grace and share it with those God has put in and around your life. I want us to get ready to come to the table now. I want us to to take communion So if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, then this table is not for you. I didn't say if you're not a sinner, because we are all sinners saved by grace. Now I believe this, I believe the Bible teaches that when I'm born again, I no longer have a nature of sin and death. I have become a partaker of the divine nature found in the life of Christ. But I have a a mind that's not been renewed. I have a body that's still sinful flesh. We still have sinful tendencies. We still commit real sin. We experience real failure. We struggle with real weakness. This table is not for those who have overcome all their weaknesses, who no longer struggle with any sinfulness, because that person does not exist on earth. But if you recognize that you struggle with sinfulness, if you recognize your weakness, if you recognize your desperate need for a Savior, and you've cried out to that Savior from a heart of faith knowing that He has saved you and that you're not trusting in your own righteousness, your own ability to walk in holiness, but you're trusting in His grace that makes you righteous, that makes you holy and gives you the power to walk even as He walked, to resist temptation. And even when you do fail, even when you do stumble, the grace of God is there to pick you up to grow you up, and to teach you, even through your failures. Don't think your failures are wasted upon God. They're not. I think our greatest lessons are learned. Our greatest spurts of growth and maturity come through our failures. And it's the grace of God that does that. So if you've cried out for His grace, if you've trusted in Jesus, come To this table, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I encourage you to trust in Him right now. Cry out to Him right now and come to this table. Can we do that? Let's come to the table. We'll just come a section at a time and then we're going to all take communion together. So take the elements, receive those, and then we will take uh, the bread and the cup together. In John's Gospel, in the sixth chapter, this is during the uh, or, or immediately following the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And at one point early on in this discourse, Jesus tells them, He said, You follow me not because of who I am, but because of the food, because of the loaves and the fishes. And later on in John 6, as Jesus is talking to this people, in verse 53, says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. It says that Jesus said these things in the synagogue at Capernaum. That's hard for us to imagine, but that would have been that would have been probably the most. Uh, there probably is not anything he could have said that would have been much more controversial than what he said when he said those words in that synagogue. And it was so controversial, and it was so hard for the people to hear. That it says in verse 66, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. When Jesus is with his disciples and they are eating the last meal together before he is taken to be crucified. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says these words, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. No doubt they would have remembered those words that day in Capernaum. And he took the cup. When he had given thanks, he said to them, they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many They would have remembered that day when Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Today we come to this table. We take this bread and we take this cup and we proclaim His body and His blood. We proclaim Christ and His body. We proclaim Christ and His body. Look around church at the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. In all your diversity, in all your differences of circumstances, we are joined in one life, in one body, by one blood, in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that it is grace that has given us this gift. That, Lord, you have drawn us to Christ by your grace. You have brought us to this table. You've given your body and you've poured out your blood. You've done it by grace. We take this bread and we take this cup. We proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus and all that it provides for us. And in proclaiming that death, we proclaim his life and his rule forevermore. Take the bread and take the cup. We thank you for grace, Lord. Father in heaven, help us to see and to know your grace. Your grace that is ever present and ever working for us, a more eternal way of glory. God, empower us by your spirit to work in your grace, to walk in your grace, to live in your grace, to love in your grace. And to extend grace to those around us. That they too may see and know the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Father forgive us for unthankful hearts that have been blinded to your amazing grace. This grace that continues to give to us grace upon grace. Lord we are so very thankful for your grace. It's in your name, the name of Christ, the name above all names, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.